You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, the chirping continues. The excuses keep continuing. But at the end of the day, who is it that keeps ending up correct? Because ultimately, that's all that matters, right? When people keep making excuses, and they're only good for that week, and they instantly die, and the same people keep popping up and coming up with a new excuse why you're going to be wrong, and the Packers are going to be bad, and they keep you know, being wrong, it just means they're not very good at figuring stuff out. And so if you came into the season saying that, you know, Packers are going to be a pretty good team, Vikings aren't that good of a defense, Packers offense is going to destroy them. No, they're not. Vikings are elite. And then they get destroyed. And then when you look at the Lions, it's like, yeah, but the Lions always play them tough. And then they didn't play them tough for the first time in a long time. Point is, all the data keeps pointing to something's different here. Nobody wants to acknowledge it. Well, the Saints are the first real test. All right. And so, like I said, if any of you watched that Fan to Fan Network video that I was on, like, well, Alvin Kamara is going to run for a million miles against you. Yeah, he will. I know. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Packers are still going to win. Guess what happened? Alvin Kamara ran for a million miles. Doesn't matter. We still won. And so now... We're hearing too, well, the refs are always helping the Packers, which I've already debunked that. We've looked at, there are websites that track these calls. There's no data, no evidence anywhere that points to the fact that the Packers get the most beneficial help from the the officials. It's just not a real thing. It's kind of like when Packer fans say that we're the most injured team. No, we're actually one of the least injured teams in like the last 10 years. People that just hate the Packers and see the Packers do well when there happens to be a call that's questionable, especially when you get these announcers that seem to have it out for the Packers that only see, they, they never seem to want to call, for example, when there's a big run and there's a very obvious on the replay, somebody's grabbing Zadarius's jersey and he can't turn around. The announcers have nothing to say about that. They, they're looking right at their television as it's happening, but they can't pause to stop talking about how great of a play from Alvin Kamara it was to point out, oh, that should have been a tackle for a loss because Zadarius was held there. But if Big Boy goes up and makes a Big Boy catch, and at one point his hand happened to be on the guy's shoulder because that's just what Big Boys do, and there's zero extension whatsoever, they're going to spend the next half hour talking about how that was a massive push-off and the refs are garbage, and that's the reason the Packers won. There's, there's the refs, and then there's also, again, well, we got to wait until they play a real defense, which I guess at this point just means the 49ers because I, I don't know what we're talking about anymore because I thought the Vikings were a real defense. I, I thought the Saints were a real defense, and I, I guess I don't know what a real defense is anymore. Can somebody tell me what a real defense is? B- 
Because when we go play the 49ers and beat them, we're going to hear about, well, Bosa was hurt. So, so who is this real defense? I'm curious who it is. I have no idea at this point which defense is the real defense. Which defense is the one that's going to expose the Packers as this fraudulent team? Because the only reason they're breaking NFL records in points, the only reason they're leading the entire NFL is because they're going up against the worst defenses ever conceived. Yeah, that's it. Now we got it. Well, I mean, it looks like the Colts have given up 45. Is that the real defense we're talking about? Although they've, they've played trash teams so far. Jaguars, Vikings, and Jets. Wait, are the Vikings trash? I don't, I don't know anymore. I can't, I can't keep track. I, I, I guess, I guess I don't know. There's the 49ers, but I mean, the only team that they played that wasn't terrible, Jets and Giants, was the Cardinals. You know who they lost to. <laughs> I, I'm just asking, who, who, who is this elite team that's gonna stop all the 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 Seahawks are gonna stop you? Well, um, really? Seahawks have given up 86 points this year. The Packers are giving up 85. They're a worse defense than the Packers right now. By points and massively by yards. I think they've given up more yards than any team in the NFL this year. The Seahawks, that's the elite defense or the elite team that's going to stop the Packers. What are we talking about? The Chargers. I'm just I'm going in order of the teams that have allowed the least amount of points. The Chargers, they're going to they're going to stop the Packers. Well, they beat them last year. Yeah. Okay. You do have the Steelers, who we don't actually play, so that would have to be in the Super Bowl, I guess. You got the Cardinals, who almost just lost to the Lions, and you got Tampa Bay. They recently, uh, after getting absolutely annihilated by the Saints, they lost or they they beat the Panthers and the Broncos. So good on them, I guess. Not, I mean, do they get credit for that? If, if we don't get credit for playing bad, they don't get credit, right? So, that, so they're not a good defense. Okay, who who has a good defense? Shall we continue? Did I mention the Bears? Is that the ultimate test? we got to play them twice. Are they going to expose the Packers? They are 3-0. and Ninth best team in terms of points. Granted, they played the uh, Kenny Galladay-less Lions, the Saquon Barkley-less Giants, and then the Falcons just hung 30 on them. Excuse me, 26. I was looking at the wrong one. I forgot the Bears actually won that game. By the way, the Bears didn't win that game with their defense. They somehow won that game after benching their garbage quarterback and putting in the other garbage quarterback, which is more of an indictment against the Falcons' defense than anything else, which is probably the worst scoring defense in football. I think it's the second. The Jaguars are the worst. So the Bears' defense has allowed 23 points to the Lions without their number one wide receiver, 13 points to the terrible Giants with no Saquon, and 26 points to the Falcons. Yeah, that, that'll be the test right there, boys. Just wait till they play a real defense. That'll show them. Stupid Packers. Bears are about to straighten you out. Is that, I mean, is that where we're at right now? What are you going to do? I mean, I guess we can go by the schedule. We got the Falcons up next. Granted, the, uh, the biggest concern is going to be how is our defense going to stop their offense? It's a valid concern. Actually, I lied. I must have been thinking about yardage because the Falcons are giving up more points than anybody. So, okay, so that let's say the Packers get Devontae back and they absolutely shred the Falcons, but maybe this is going to be like, you know, old-school Packers-Falcons where there's no defense and a bunch of offense and the first team that kicks a field goal loses. Could be. Here's the issue. When we actually compare apples to oranges, you have the number one scoring offense going up against the number 32 scoring defense. That sucks. Yeah, but the Packers have a bad defense too. You're right. So it's the fourth uh, scoring offense going up against the 21st scoring defense. So it's, I mean, it's skewed, 
But the fourth best offense going up against the 21st best defense is a little bit different than the number one offense going up against the absolute worst defense in the NFL right now. I would say that that's different. I don't know. Also, the team that that just is completely imploding. And can I just say that as far as a high-scoring offense goes, the only real impressive game they had was 39 points against the Cowboys. Otherwise, they scored 25 against the Seahawks, who, by the way, again, remember, not the same Seahawks. This is a bad defense. The Seahawks, they scored 25 points against. The Bears, they scored 26. The only reason they're even ranked somewhat high is because they hung almost 40 on the Cowboys. They haven't touched 30 since, or outside of that. So it's not exactly the most elite team in the history of the universe. By the way, um, the way you generally want to attack the Packers, which is unfortunate for a lot of teams because really good offenses tend to be offenses that throw the ball. I mean, teams, when you win, it's because you can throw well, um, you know, like the Saints and whatnot. This is a team that is fourth in passing, 17th in rushing. So they're either going to completely transform what makes them a good offense, arguably a good offense, and not pass so much because, you know, the Packers' pass defense isn't the worst. Jair seems to still be really killing it. Kevin King was terrible yesterday, but, you know, as far as, as the, the Saints, did they throw a single pass, maybe like two or three passes, it seemed, that wasn't just attacking linebackers all day. It seemed to me like every single pass was a, a, a six-yard pass in the dead center middle of the field. It was the exact same pass over and over and over and over and over again, just attacking our linebackers who can't do anything. And as I've said... It's cool, and it's frustrating, but it's really hard to win a game if all you're going to do is run the ball and throw five-yard passes. What, what was his stat at halftime, like 4.1 yards uh, average passing or some nonsense? It's just hard to win a game that way because eventually the defense comes up big, even when the defense overall is playing just terribly across the board. So anyways, that's the Falcons. Then we get a bye. We get to rest our guys. It's an early bye, which isn't great, but it's going to be helpful because we come out of that, we got to go to Tampa. I already talked about Tampa Bay. Defense is currently 8th, you know, because the Denver Broncos scored 10 and the Panthers scored 17. A team with a marginally good offense, the Saints put up 34. So yeah, maybe, I don't know, we'll see. They got the Chargers up next, that should be an easy win. They got the Bears up after that, that should be another easy win. So going into this game, we're going to be looking at the 4-1 Tampa Bay Buccaneers up against the uh, 4-0 Green Bay Packers, likely. And it's going to be seen as this powerhouse game, here we go. Two Hall of Famers, kind of like the Saints, right? Tampa Bay is just on a tear right now, having just beaten the living tar out of four basically top ten pick teams in the draft next year. Boy, oh boy, this is a clash of the Titans, except it's not. You got the Houston Texans, who look like a coherent football team, and as I've said, are better than what their record would indicate. But at the end of the day, their defense is just not good. The Houston Texans are 20 ninth right now. Now, a lot of that, again, is their record, the the, the or the uh, teams that they've had to go up against, which is just somewhat unfair. If there's three teams in the NFL that I'm scared of, it's the Chiefs, Ravens, and the Steelers. Still, they only put up 20 points against the Chiefs, 16 against the Ravens, 21 against the Steelers. It's not exactly a ringing endorsement of their offense. Fortunately for them, they get a little bit of a break facing the Minnesota Vikings next week. Hopefully, they can pull something together. But again, is this the defense? Is this the team? That's a problem with a lot of this stuff is there's never any specifics. It doesn't matter what it is. Well, the Packers should have got a wide receiver. Who? Mims? Well, the Packers should have got a defensive tackle. Yeah, but what's his name, though? I'm not I'm not even necessarily disagreeing. Somebody threw out Patrick Queen. Yeah, maybe. I mean, of the 15 linebackers that were drafted, he's ranked 13th. 
37.9 overall grade, maybe Chris Barnes is still the highest. I mean, the new grades haven't come out yet, but he's still the highest graded linebacker in football. So yeah, maybe we should have got Patrick Queen. I don't know. I don't really see a reason why. Isaiah Simmons is 14th. Troy Dye is 9th with a 48 overall grade. Kenneth Murray is, is a 50 overall grade. So again, name them. The other issue with all this, especially if we talk about defensive linemen, and again, I don't necessarily disagree, but I don't know that it fixes anything because Kenny Clark is going to come back next week, hopefully, ideally. Do we really think that means the teams aren't going to be able to run against us? Of course they are. Because Zedarius is still not good against the run. Preston is not good against the run. Lowry is not good against the run. Rashawn is not good against the run. None of our linebackers are good against the run. So they're still going to be able to run. Who's the defensive lineman? Well, Javon Kinlaw is killing it right now. Yeah, I know there's a lot of highlights out there. He has four pressures in two weeks. That's cool. His run defense grade is terrible because that's not really his thing. Who's the other guy? Raekwon Davis is my guy. Love Raekwon Davis. 47.4 overall. He wouldn't be helping us right now. Ross Blacklock. Everybody loved Ross Blacklock. Out of 15 guys, he's ranked 13th. Tied for dead last because it's actually a tie between him and Derek Brown, the other early first-round pick. In the 30s, nobody's doing anything. So, yeah, I mean, we could go back and, well, look at the wide receiver. Yeah, I, I, I get it. Some of the wide receivers are blowing up, and some of these guys are going to do really well. That doesn't help us today. That doesn't stop us from getting embarrassed. And and the fact of the matter is, had we drafted Ross Blacklock, he would have gone out there, he'd have played like absolute garbage, and everybody would have said, wow, what a waste of a first-round pick. How trash is this? We'd have been better off drafting that quarterback. They're rookies, man. They're rookies. They haven't had any preseason. They had hardly any training camp. Nobody's really helping out there. If I read off this list of rookies on defense who are actually doing well, you would probably recognize three of them. And two of them because they happen to be Green Bay Packers. Chris Barnes is number one of of the entire rookie class. And again, week three grades haven't come out yet. On defense. Ahead of Chase Young. Vernon Scott is fifth. Outside of that, you got Chase Young, Bradley Anai, Jalen Johnson, Sean Bradley, Jordan Elliott, Antoine Winfield, Anthony Jennings, Tershawn Wharton, never heard of him, Jalen Hawkins, and James Smith-Williams. Not one wide receiver, although again, that's going to change with uh, Jefferson going off. Only three linebackers, one of which is on our team. Only two defensive linemen, one of which is maybe a guy that we could have picked up, which is Jordan Elliott. I know there was a little bit of hype. Point is, we gotta let it go, man. Most guys that you draft suck. That's the that's the bottom line. And 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 I don't I don't want to detract from the simple fact. Here here here's the situation. And I'm kind of just getting away because I think I've made my point about about the who's really gonna stop the Packers, right? You get it. There's better defenses, but it's people are just being stupid for the sake of being stupid because they refuse to acknowledge that this is this is rare. Let me put a, a fine little point on that for now, by the way, and, and I'm really upset that I can't find, I just paid for this search engine thing that apparently sucks. It's not, I just want to find out the most points scored through the first three weeks and nobody can tell me that. But here's what I do have. Highest points per game total. Now, I understand it's only three weeks, so this is somewhat unfair. But if we look at post-merger, the highest scoring points per game team is the 2013 Denver Broncos, 37.9 points per game. Peyton Manning led Broncos, unbelievable. First game in which they scored less than 30 points was week 10. They scored 28. Week 11, they scored 27. The only other game, well, outside of the postseason, was week 15 um, against San Diego. And then they started to crumble, probably because their quarterback is 5 billion years old. Anyways, that's it. If we even look at 2020 teams, 
again, Broncos 37.9. Right now, the Seahawks are sitting at 37 points per game. The next highest is the Ravens at 35.5 points per game. Right now, the Green Bay Packers are at 40.7 points per game. I'm not saying that that's going to be maintained, although I don't know if it's going to change because of the, the Falcons. But we get Devontae back. We get DeGuara back. We get Dylan more involved. And, and that's the thing. We have weapons that aren't even up to speed yet. Jay Sternberger had his first decent game of the year. What if he starts picking it up? So add in a little bit of Dylan with Aaron Jones and Jamal still just killing it. Add in more DeGuara. Get Jace more involved. I, You know, I don't know exactly where we fall on this list, but let's just say this. It's not impossible that we surpass the 2011 Packers, which was 35 points per game, which is currently fourth if we remove pre-merger and 2020 teams. The, the 2011 Packers are fourth. The 2020 Packers, did I say 20? The 2011 Packers are fourth. The 2020 Packers are on pace to just blow that and every other record out of the water, by the way. The other real unfortunate thing for the uh, the anti-Packers crowd here is the fact that two of the teams that we've faced that have helped to get us to this, we have to face two more times. So we got to face the Vikings again and the Lions again and the Falcons and the Texans, who have given up a billion yards. Oh, and the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are one of the worst defenses in football. Oh, and the Eagles, and the Lions again, and Carolina. <laughs> you know, I, a couple of these teams might drag down the average a bit. San Francisco, maybe Indy, Chicago twice, Tennessee maybe. But man, oh man. Man, oh man. And again, st- still, still, everybody's talking. Th- this game Monday is going to be massive, depending on what happens. If it's another, like, 55 to 54 game, We'll see how that all pans out. But, but the point is, when, when people talk about NFL offensive powerhouses, still, everybody just wants to talk about the Baltimore Ravens and the Kansas City Chiefs. And right now, the two teams everybody should be talking about is the Seahawks and the Packers. Those are the two offensive powerhouses in the NFL in 2020 right now. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Again, remember, the 2020 Ravens, and, and they may blow this out of the water facing the Chiefs' defense, they are currently behind the 2020 Seahawks and Packers. 2020 Chiefs aren't even on this list. Anyways... We might as well get some of the negative out of the way, because this is what I was trying to transition to before I got uh, wanted to put that fine point on it. I want to highlight the fact that this offense is incredible, not just by virtue of it's just it's just a thing that is right. It's just it's the it's the sum of its parts. When you take Aaron Rodgers and Lazard and and da 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 da, you get best offense in history because that's silly. The 2011 roster blows this roster out of the water. The only real comparison, I think, would be the the much better running backs that we have. But unless we assume Aaron Rodgers is infinitely better than he's ever been, which nobody wants to do, we can't say that he's better than 2011 Aaron Rodgers. And we know the wide receivers are nowhere near as good, especially when you consider Devontae has hardly played the last two weeks. He got injured two weeks ago. He had 35 yards in that game. His only real big contribution came in week one. We've been basically Devontae-less for two weeks now. And we have had Aaron Rodgers, just, just think about this one game. Aaron Rodgers, Alan Lazard, Jay Sternberger, and Robert Tanyan was basically this entire offense because Devontae didn't play, and the Saints' main objective, which they succeeded in, was to take away Aaron Jones, which is what I said would happen. Right? I was blowing off steam on the FTFN thing where I said Aaron Jones would get 100 yards. I immediately went in the chat, and I was like, look, I'm just trash-talking for the sake of trash-talking. I don't think he's going to get 100 yards. But if you want me to back up my bet, I will. Because 
As I said, they're going to have the same strategy as the Minnesota Vikings did. They're going to say, you're not going to run against us, partly because that's the biggest weapon with Devontae out, but also because that seems to be what the Saints are doing, right? They sell out against the run, take away the Josh Jacobs or Aaron Jones or whoever. They haven't allowed a 100-yard rusher in however many weeks. That's just their main strategy for whatever reason. They must trust their corners or something so that our, our defensive line and linebackers can focus on just taking away the run. And they did that, as expected. Obviously, that was their plan, and and historically, looking at the stats, they've done very well at that. There's no reason to believe they can't. The Vikings did. So there's basically no Aaron Jones, no Devontae. So you have Aaron Rodgers, Lazard, MVS got completely shut down, so he was a non-factor, who, by the way, realizing all of this, I put Lazard on my fantasy football team. Happy to say, I probably would have won without him anyways, but happy to say I won my game because of Lazard. But it just it just made sense. They're going to take him away. The number one receiver on this team is Alan Lazard. Alan Lazard has to be Devontae in this game. And as good as the offense has been, I, there's no reason to believe that that won't happen. And as much as I love Alan Lazard and, and what he's become, give me a break. Are we really at the point now we're going to say, yeah, it's, it's not that. I mean, come on. Anybody could be that good with Alan Lazard as your number one. What, is that where we're at? Have we reached that level of insanity for the the Packers haters that they're going to pull that one out of their hat? How do you explain 37 points against, quote-unquote, the best defense they've faced all year with no Devontae, no Aaron Jones, no MVS? Our number two receiver was Robert Tanyan. I know a lot of you guys love Robert Tanyan. I'm not trying to dog Robert Tanyan, but, but again, give me a break. Alan Lazard. Robert Tanyan, Jace Sternberger. I'm going in order of who our top receivers were. Mercedes Lewis, Aaron Jones, Tyler Irvin, MVS, Jamal. By the way, I'm down in the single digits. I have been since I said Tyler Irvin's name. These are literally has-beens. Alan Lazard was discarded by the Green Bay Packers, and they just decided, let's just bring him back. Robert Tanyan has been hanging on as a number three tight end on a team in which we don't have any tight ends. The tight ends are garbage, and he's barely hanging on as the number three for a long time. He was our number two. Jay Sternberger had two targets this year. I don't think that... Is that right? That can't be right. Whatever. According to this, he's had two targets this year. He had one target last year. That totals up three targets. He literally doubled his targets. By the way, he is 0 for 3 prior to this game. He's 3 for 3 for 36 yards in this game has-beens, and nobodies. And that's not even just, that's not even mentioning the offensive line, which is a mishmash. So, so I mean, someone explain it to me. And uh, better yet, forget that. I don't care. Explain to me why NFL Network is not going to run a, a full one-hour special on Matt LaFleur as the best head coach in the NFL right now. Explain that to me. Sean McVay wins 11 wins in his 11 games in his first year. He's the greatest young offensive mind we've seen in this generation. Oh my goodness. Matt LaFleur only got a job because Sean McVay is so good. The man wins 13 wins, 13 games in his first season. Best offense in football. And again, who is the offense? I don't even think people are necessarily wrong about we should have got a wide receiver. Look at this group. It's not... Yeah, I agree. Matt LaFleur, though? You're telling me this guy isn't a great offensive mind? You're telling me he isn't on the same tier as Shanahan? Shanahan does a similar thing. He don't, they don't have elite wide receiver weapons. They don't have an elite running back. But man, oh man, you'd never know it watching that offense. Same thing here. This is the real deal. 
And again, what happens when we get some weapons? What happens when these young guys that were specifically brought in and tailored as Matt LaFleur guys like A.J. Dillon, guys like Josiah DeGuara, who are built, who are wired at birth to be Matt LaFleur football players? What happens when they start start going? What happens when we draft the first ever Matt LaFleur wide receiver? Ever. <laughs> we haven't done that yet. I mean, I guess we brought one in. His name was Devin Funches, and he decided he wasn't playing this year. By the way, we get him next year, basically for free, because we're paying for him this year, I believe. Which brings me to my next point, and it kind of goes in with what I was saying a long time ago about, you know, defensive lineman isn't going to fix it, this isn't going to fix it, that isn't going to fix it. The excuses are nonsense. I understand this isn't a perfect defense, but you don't need a perfect defense. The Baltimore Ravens have allowed 22 points through, through two games. Let's go with the Indianapolis Colts, I guess. Through three games, 45 points they've allowed. The Colts don't have a perfect defense. The 49ers don't have a perfect defense. The Ravens don't have a perfect defense. The Chargers, who have allowed 57 points, don't have a perfect defense. You don't need a perfect defense. The Rams. People talk about how the Rams are tough. They have some key pieces, but they've got some holes galore. People talk about the Rams' defense like it's just a foregone conclusion. Like, yeah, dude, that, that team is tough. And it is. But name me one other player on that defensive line not named Aaron Donald. Their front seven, front six, whatever, outside of Aaron Donald is pathetic. We have Rashawn, Zadarius, Preston, Kenny Clark. Whatever you think about those guys, that is a better group than anything the Rams have. Okoronkwo, Donald, Brockers, Floyd, Fuller, and Kaiser. All terrible football players. They do have some good corners, for sure. Jalen Ramsey, I mean, he's 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 not elite. He's one of those guys that had a great 2017 year from the Jaguars. Outside of that, his grades have been 72, 72, 71, 72. He's the most consistently good, not great cornerback I've ever seen in my life. And is another one of those guys who had an elite year that made him a bunch of money. He's not elite, but you know what? At least he's not a bust like some of these other guys who have great years and then are busts. He's solid. He's good. The safeties are mediocre. Terrible front seven outside of one disruptive player. Two good, not great corners and a terrible slot corner. Two mediocre safeties. Why don't they get absolutely shredded? How about we go to the Baltimore Ravens? They have horrific linebackers, including Patrick Queen. Their defensive line consists of McPhee, Campbell, Bowser, and Judon. And I know Judon gets a lot of love. He's currently ranked 48th out of 98 edge rushers. Bowser is ranked 61st out of 98. Uh, Calais Campbell, 27th out of 115. Pernell McPhee is 39th out of 98. This is, this is not an elite front. And their linebackers are not good. And their safeties are subpar. Jimmy Smith is a good corner. No question. Marcus Peters is a good corner. Not elite. Not the best we've ever seen. Not, not you know, Legion of Boom. The point is, it's not about personnel at this point. Mike Pettin is failing at making what he has work. And the worst part is, he can't even use this lame excuse of, these aren't my guys, I need to get... These are 100% your guys. We spent a bunch of money getting your guys when we got the Smiths. We drafted your guy when we got Rashawn Gary. Don't even tell me that Kenny Clark isn't your guy, because Kenny Clark is everybody's guy. He works in everybody's scheme, and he's one of the only players on this defense that isn't terrible. Darnell Savage is your guy. Adrian Amos we brought in. He's your guy. Christian Kirksey is your guy. These are all your guys. Jair is your guy. This whole defense is tailored to be a Mike Pettin defense, and you can't make it work. 
And again, contrast that with an offense that has nothing. They have not, They have a bunch of throwaways. Tyler Irvin was thrown in the trash heap, and we picked him up and we made him something. Lazard was discarded by the Packers and put in the trash heap, as well as some other teams. I think, the, what, the Jaguars? Yeah, Jaguars are the ones that picked him up as a free agent. They're like, nah, this guy's trash. They dumped him. Why, Packers picked him up. They're like, nah, should probably put him at a tight end, but he's, he's just not that good. You know, whatever. And I don't know that everybody's 100% wrong. Do we know for sure that if Alan Lazard goes to, oh, I don't know, back to the Jaguars or any other team, that he's going to be this good? Or is it just a perfect marriage? Because at 6'5", 227, he's exactly what Matt LaFleur wants for his scheme, and Matt LaFleur knows how to utilize the pieces that he likes. In other words, I don't need elite pieces, just give me the guys that fit my system, and I'm going to make it work. I'm going to call the right plays to put my guys in the right situation to maximize their strengths and minimize their weaknesses to make this offense a well-oiled machine. Mike Pettin needs to do that same thing, and he can't. We've given him everything. Everything. And I don't want to hear any nonsense about, well, I need a linebacker. No, you you don't. We don't prioritize linebacker. And I guarantee you if Mike Pettin had said the most important thing in my scheme is a linebacker, that would have been a priority and we would have gotten you one. You don't care about linebacker. That's on you. You wanted a third edge rusher in Rashawn. You want more and more and more and better and better and better defensive tackles. So we got you... Kiki, and we got you all, whoever you want. And these guys just don't pan out. Your plans are not working. And the, and the fact of the matter is, it seems like people are underachieving in your scheme. Blake Martinez was a good linebacker, and then you showed up, and he was a terrible linebacker. We ran him out on a rail, and he's over there in New York as the best linebacker in football. That's a damning indictment of Mike Pettin. And as it stands right now, this is, this, is one of the, this is simultaneously one of the worst and best Packers teams we've seen. On one hand, this is the most well-oiled, beautiful offenses we've ever seen that has the, the potential to be dominant for years to come and only get better as we add more pieces. On the contrast, this is a defense that has no chance of winning any Super Bowls. It's not acceptable. And I, I, I don't want to overreact. The Packers are not dead last in points. They're 21st. Seahawks, the Eagles, the Browns, the Raiders, the Lions, the Jets, the Saints, the Texans, the Cowboys, the Vikings, and the Falcons are all worse. Well, what about yards? The Packers are the 18th worst in yards. In fact, they're, they're so in other words, they're on the positive side of things. The Bears, the Jag, the Bears, worse. Jaguars, Jets, Rams, Broncos, Bills. So there's that. Panthers, Texans, Bengals, Dolphins, Cowboys, Raiders, Lions, Titans, Vikings, Falcons, Seahawks all allowed more yards. And by the way, Ravens and Chiefs still have a game coming up. The Chiefs have allowed 839 yards. The Ravens just need to put up 247 yards, and the Chiefs go on the other side of this, and the Packers become the 19th worst. Yeah, but what about rushing yards? I bet the Packers are the worst ever in rushing yards. No, they're 18th. 18th worst, not 18th best. Jaguars, 49ers, Bears, Rams, Patriots, Giants, Panthers, Washington, Cowboys, Jets, Dolphins, Vikings, Raiders, Titans, Lions, Bengals, Texans, all have given up more rushing yards. Yeah, but what about yards per attempt? Yep, that one's pretty damning, but still, Raiders, Lions, Titans have given up more. So, perspective, right? A lot of defenses are very much struggling, very, very much. The fact that this is one of the worst defenses we've seen since the glory days of of Dom Capers, you know, in his last couple years. And and, and the fact that we're seeing this horrific defense, but it's still basically in, in 2020 so far a mediocre defense because defenses are just that bad right now. So, so again, willing to kind of just, you know, ride this thing out a little bit. But I'm not seeing much improvement. 
And in fact, the, the, even the energy I don't see there anymore. One of, one of the most horrifying things that I saw yesterday was the fact that I swear I saw at least twice Zadarius just quit on a play. I'm seeing no energy, no fire. I, I One play, he looked like he ran past the quarterback and just kind of stopped. It's like, what, what are you doing? The play's not over. I think it was a run play. He's just standing there in the backfield. The other one reminded me of Clay Matthews when he realized he wasn't going to get home, and he, he literally just stood there. It was, it was a passing down. He was locked up. They were like locked up chest to chest, and he didn't even try to fight. He didn't move. He just stood there. Preston has been a ghost for three weeks. Zadarius quit trying, apparently. I don't know what's going on with that. It just seems like a defeated team that doesn't, doesn't believe in themselves anymore, and that's a problem. You know, I'm, I'm glad that the opportunistic defense at least showed up once with that strip fumble recovery. Needed that. I'm glad it was Zadarius because, you know, he's the energy on that team. He needs to keep his energy up because much like when Aaron Rodgers is in a bad mood, it tears everybody down. I think if Zadarius starts, if his face starts to sink and he doesn't have that high energy, that becomes somewhat problematic too. Point is, I, I don't care about excuses. I don't want to hear any excuses. They don't fly. Baltimore Ravens have arguably the worst linebackers in football. They have probably the best defense in football, pending maybe the Steelers. But let's look at the Steelers. Do you even know who their linebackers are? Devin Bush, who is a first-round pick, number 10 overall, he's been terrible through two years. He's not a good linebacker. Another early first-round pick that's terrible at being a linebacker. Imagine that. Again, I, I can't think of one that isn't that, that way. The other is Vince Williams, who right now is, uh, let's see, 66th out of 74 linebackers. Minka Fitzpatrick is ranked 57th out of 76. Tremaine Edmonds is 62nd out of 76. So, so far through uh, three weeks, well, two weeks, this is the one of the worst safety groups in football. Their corners are not that good. Do you even know who their corners are? Can you name them? I know they have Watt, Tewitt, and Hayward, and Dupree, although Dupree's grading out terribly. It's a great front, but who are their corners? Name them for me. Steven Nelson, who's never really been all that good. Last year he was pretty solid, but that's about it. Mike Hilton is their slot corner. He's not that good. And Joe Hayden, another one of those big-name guys that everybody assumes is real good, except basically outside of his first four years from 2010 to 2013, the guy's not that great. I mean, he's okay. He's far from elite. So this is a team, the Steelers, seen as maybe the best defense in football, and, and rightly so, and Fitzpatrick probably gets better, and I don't know who else outside of that grades out better, but again, they have three guys along the defensive line that are grading out basically as elite, and, and that's all it takes. That's all the Steelers need. I'll, we'll make the rest work. Just give me three really good players, and I'll give you the best defense in football. That's what we're saying? Why is it the Packers need to be perfect from head to toe? The Bills. Yeah, Bills Bills are solid. They have a good defensive front. Not elite, but good across the board. Milano is a good cover guy, but Edmonds and Klein are terrible linebackers, so they have two terrible linebackers out of three. They have one good corner. A couple good safeties. I mean, there's more good than bad, but they still have holes, and it doesn't matter. They dominate. I'm just tired of the excuses. You have more than enough. You have everything you've ever wanted. You have all the pieces you need. You need to make it work. Because that's the difference between the Packers being a team like like the Packers, like 2011 and 2012 and 2013 and 2014 Packers, and being a team like the Baltimore Ravens, which I don't know how you stop them, and I don't know how you score on them. And I don't know the solution. I, you know, you can't just fire Mike Pettin and hire somebody on the spot and be like, all right, we're good to go now, unless there's somebody internally that we really like. I mean, you think a guy like Jerry Gray would be kind of top, top of the line, but he just got here. Jerry Montgomery, possibly. The defensive line coach could possibly take over. He's been here for a while. I think he does a good job, although defensive line is one of our biggest weaknesses right now. 
Mike Smith, the outside linebacker coach, obviously is fantastic, but he's fantastic at one thing. Can he call plays for, for defenses? It's a whole different animal. Who do you trust to do that job? I don't, I don't think we're giving it to Kirk Olivadotti. I don't even know why he's still here. He hasn't done a single thing to make our linebackers any good. Christian Kirksey's having by far the worst year he's ever had. As I said, Blake Martinez was great until Petten showed up. He leaves Petten and Olivadotti, goes somewhere else, and hey, guess who's a great linebacker again? The guy that was great before this team showed up. So I, I, don't, I don't know that there's a, a perfect solution here. Again, maybe we want to give Jerry Gray a shot, but it just, it just seems like something that's going to send this thing into a tailspin. And it, 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 it's, it's not even something for me to even speculate about because there's so much that goes into it. Are, are you mentally capable? Do you have the right mentality, right? It's sort of a sit-down thing. You, you look at what Mike Pettin's doing and how he plays and just his general attitude. I mean, obviously, he's a hardcore guy externally as a human being, but you look at how he plays on the field, it's so passive. Matt LaFleur is anything but passive. It's, it's so funny because you look at the contrast, even between him and Mike McCarthy. You think Mike McCarthy is this guy that, you know, eats glass. Matt LaFleur is this sort of soft, smaller kind of guy, but the way he plays, he's an animal. He's vicious. He's kind of mean. I mean, I'm never going to stop talking about the fact that we went up 40 to 21 and went for two points. Well, mathematically, that puts us up by exactly 21, which is three scores. Really? Really? That's what we're concerned about when you're up by 20? No, I don't think so. That's called all gas, no break. That's called our foot is on their neck. They just passed out and we're going to push harder. It's unnecessary. It's mean and it's cruel, and I love it. Maybe there's a mentality thing. But, I, I you know, honestly, at the end of the day, we just need to find a Matt LaFleur on defense, which is which is way easier said than done. But somebody out there is, is a modern-day NFL defensive mind. And, and Mike Pettin is an old-school guy. He, he ran a great defense back in, you know, 2014 or whatever. And I think you look at a guy like like uh, Matt LaFleur and, and the offenses that guys like Matt and Shanahan and these guys are running, they look at the Mike Pettins and they say, this is easy pickings. We know how to beat this. We know how to attack this. And there are other defenses that are out there that Matt LaFleur is looking at saying, that's going to be tough. These guys take these things away. They're really on top of it. Maybe look at the teams that have given us a, a hard time. Maybe look at the 49ers and see if there's somebody over there that we can get. I don't know. I, again... You want to give these guys some time and, and, you know, all the defenses are struggling fine, but at, but at the end of the day, it's just not acceptable. It wasn't acceptable last year. It wasn't acceptable every single year. It wasn't acceptable under the Dom Capers. Somebody out there knows how to run the defense properly. And although it's going to be a real rough transition and the defense probably gets worse before it gets better and maybe we just got to roll with Pettin the rest of the year, which we probably do, but if, if we fail... If we, if we steamroll our way into the playoffs and get knocked out right away because our defense allows 40 points, eh, I don't know, man. Bot, bot, bottom line is we got to figure it out. That's it. Mike Pettin has to just figure it out. Matt LaFleur needs to, to be able to have that conversation with Mike Pettin. Like, look, I, I, I shouldn't have to tell you this, but the fact that I'm forced to go for it on fourth down pretty much any time we're even near the 50-yard line means your job is on the line. I need to feel comfortable that at any given time, if the right thing to do is punt, I'm able to punt, and I don't have to force my offense to go for it because you suck and you're not going to stop them from scoring. I don't want to have to make that decision. I pay you so that I can punt. Our salary cap is in disarray because we paid all these guys to come help you. Zadarius and Preston and Amos, we paid these men to come in here. I don't know what the problem is, but you better figure it out, and I want an answer. 
You tell me exactly, this is what's wrong, this is how it's going to get fixed, and when we play the Falcons, it won't happen. That's what I want to hear. It's a great thing about Matt LaFleur, too, is he can say that. It's kind of like with, with my grand, you know, sometimes when you're a teenager or whatever and you kind of do stuff, usually if somebody wants to give you a hard time, it's like, oh, yeah, like you were never 20 years old or whatever. It's funny because my grandma, she didn't do a lot of crazy stuff, so you couldn't pull that on her. She could tell you, I expect this from you, and she can say it because that's who she is and who she was. I don't mean what, I mean, she, you know, when she was younger. So you can't say anything. Like, yeah, what about you? Oh, yeah, shoot. When Matt LaFleur is putting up this kind of a flawless performance, he can walk into a room and say, I demand perfection, and if you're not going to do that, you get out. You know why? Because he's been perfect. No excuses. Give me whatever you got, I'll stitch something together, and we'll go out and beat the New Orleans Saints. I understand the Saints aren't the same team anymore, but you, you, you look at that patchwork offensive line. Tell me prior to week one, show me the roster. Show me the starting offensive line and our starting wide receivers and tight ends and all this stuff. Tell me the Saints are going to take um, Aaron Jones away, and then also tell me the defense is going to look putrid. Oh, and by the way, we win. I, I don't even know how that happens. I don't know how that's humanly possible. I still, to this day, don't know how he's doing what he's doing. It doesn't make any sense. It shouldn't be possible, but he's doing it. And again, there better be a special by the end of the day highlighting Matt LaFleur and how great he is. Because it's ridiculous. Anyways, we, we have to take a break at some point. I just I had a hard time stopping talking. Let's take a break here, and um, I don't even know what's left to come back on the other side of it, but we'll, we'll run through some stuff. So we don't know quite yet who the Iron Jock player of the day was. I know some of you are probably waiting on the edge of your seat because you picked somebody that was pretty solid. The rest of you have, have kind of resigned yourself to better luck next week. But let me just remind you, you don't have to wait to win the competition to get some real quality Iron Jock clothing. You can go right now to ironjock.com, I-R-O-N-J-O-C.com, and look at their incredible line of men's athletic wear. They got everything from polo shirts, vests, long and short sleeve workout clothing, sweatshirts, shorts, socks and underwear, running jackets, hoodies and pants. And remember, every single piece of material, every item on that list has their proprietary nano silver infused in the fabric. That silver ion is going to kill 99.9% of all bacteria and fungus caused by sweating. And their proprietary Enduratec fabric also is wicking and fast drying, breathable, anti-static, and odor eliminating, and it lasts the lifetime of the material. Also, the long pants, shorts, hoodies, and running jackets have Enduratec Plus, which has all the stuff listed above, but is also water repellent. So let me encourage you to go right now to ironjock.com, I-R-O-N-J-O-C.com, to get a closer look at their unique collection of apparel featuring silver ion technology. Make sure you like them on Facebook, follow on Twitter, at Ironjock. So this is the third week in a row now that I have gently hinted that uh, going over to mybookie.ag and dropping maybe a couple bucks on the Packers wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to do. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I, you know, I mean, last thing in the world I want is to cause you to lose money. But my hope is that you've been listening, that you've gone over to mybookie.ag, that you've put down a little bit of money using promo code overtime so that they doubled your deposit. You've used it wisely, probably betting on the Packers, have raked in plenty of money and on top of that you grabbed a screenshot of your new account using promo code overtime and sent it to overtime at advertisecast.com now let me be clear because it sounds like i'm saying something i'm not 
It's advertise, not advertised, cast, C-A-S-T. And the reason you need to do that and quickly is that it's the 28th. If you get it in before the end of the month, you're going to be entered into a drawing to win $500. You don't need to do anything else. Just make a new account. Use promo code overtime. Send a screen capture. If you don't know how to do it, Google it. Ask your grandson. Whatever you got to do, take a picture of it. Send it to overtime at advertisecast.com to get entered to win $500. The drawing is going to take place at the end of the month. Please, please, please don't miss out on that opportunity. There's no reason not to sign up for an account and enter to win $500. There's, there's zero reason. Every person listening needs to go do it immediately. So let's get it done. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So I want to run through uh, just some of the more basic information. Um, obviously, one of the fun things about Packers Twitter after a game is that you, you, you got different people digging up different things. I just want to drop you this gem, and I'll, I'll go through and see if there's some others. But from Ben Fennell, Rodgers was 13 of 17, 160 yards, three touchdowns off of play action last night, staggering volume to percentage of the pass game. This was the most Matt LaFleur-designed game of the Packers in his tenure. With no Devontae Adams, they needed it. Matt LaFleur, game ball. Again, no question. If, if anybody put Matt LaFleur in the uh, Iron Jock giveaway, you're getting a hoodie. That's <laughs> I'm guessing nobody did, but you know, if I find one, I'm just sending you one. So as of right now, there are, let's see, six teams with 3-0 and records. you got the Buffalo Bills, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Tennessee Titans, the Green Bay Packers, Chicago Bears, and Seattle Seahawks. Teams that I think are for real, the Seattle Seahawks. Um, that might legitimately be it. Um, the Buffalo Bills, I suppose we should give them a lot of credit for putting a hurting on the Rams. There are some pretty big questions. They beat the Jets and Dolphins beforehand. Their defense, here's the thing with the, the Bills. The real question was, the defense is solid. If the offense could pick it up, great. The offense did pick it up. They're fourth in points, fourth in yards, but their defense is currently 16th in in points and 20th in yards after having played the Jets, Dolphins, and Rams. So that's just my only question. I I think they are legit, but I guess I'm doing to them what everybody else is doing to the Packers. We'll see. The Steelers, I don't know if they've played hardly anybody. Um, They, I thought they looked terrible against the Giants. They beat the Broncos only by five points, which is not impressive. They nearly lost to the Houston Texans. Granted, they're all win, but um, 
yeah, I really thought the Giants had him on the ropes for quite a while, which is pathetic. Um, you should blow out a team like the Denver Broncos, which, by the way, the Giants and Broncos have no offense. They scored 16 and 21 points. I don't know if that's the best, most elite defense in the world. But again, we'll see. Uh, the first real opponent, the Ravens in Week 7, I guess. And then the Tennessee. I think the biggest problem is 90% of teams right now, I think, are just garbage. So it's like everybody's played garbage teams because everybody's just trash. The Titans have played the Broncos, the Jaguars, and the Vikings. Cool. They almost lost to the Jaguars. They almost lost to the Vikings. They almost lost to the Broncos. They beat the Broncos by two, the Jaguars by three, and the Vikings by one. That's that's rough, dude. That is real rough. Um, obviously, on top of that, you're going to have the Chiefs or the Ravens at the end of the day, the day that are going to be 3-0. and But um, looking at the NFC, and no, I'm not really giving Chicago um, credit. Maybe they deserve a little bit more than I'm willing to give them. But, um, you know... Lions, Giants, Falcons, and again, that's Galladayless Lions, Saquonless Giants, and the uh, completely pathetic Falcons. And again, beat the Lions by four, basically because they dropped a, a touchdown pass that should have been a win. They beat the Giants by four, which is ridiculous. They only scored 17 points against that defense. That's horrific. And then 30 to 26 against the Falcons is what it is, I guess. Um, right now, the Green Bay Pack. It's just it's so good to see. Packers are number one in points, number two in yards. Um, They're ranked number one in turnovers, number one in fumbles lost because they haven't lost any. They are third in first downs. They're only 15th in passing attempts. They're eighth in rushing. That's interesting, isn't it? (laughs) They're fifth in passing yards, third in passing touchdowns, um, fourth in net yards per attempt, which is phenomenal. Uh, I mentioned they're eighth in rushing attempts, second in rushing yards, eighth in rushing touchdowns, second in yards per attempt at 5.5. That's, again, facing the Vikings and the Saints, who have completely sold out at stopping Aaron Jones and doing a decent job of it. They're second in scoring percentage, which is what percentage of the time when you are have the football do you end up scoring? They're second. 65% of the time when they have the ball, they're going to score. They are 13th in average starting position, number one in time of possession, 3 minutes and 48 seconds on average. They're fifth in the total number of plays per drive at 7.3, number one in yards per drive, 50.5 yards, and they're second in points per drive, 3.75 points per drive. They're better than a field goal per drive. Defensively, 21st in points, 14th in yards, which again, almost feels like a victory at this point. 18th in turnovers with three, that's not terrible. 11th in first downs allowed, 23rd in passing touchdowns, we've allowed 7 of those, 24th in net yards per attempt, 7.3 yards per attempt passing, 14th in rushing yards allowed, but 29th in yards per attempt, as I already mentioned. They're 16th in scoring percentage, which is a big part of the reason why the defense is doing better than you would expect, because they're pretty average in terms of how many times when the team has the ball do they score only 38% of the time, despite getting carved up time and time again, somehow they come up with a way of stopping them. A little more than one-third of the time when a team has the ball, they score. They're actually number one in starting field position, which is another thing to keep an eye on when you look at scoring um, percentage being low. On average, teams are starting at twenty-one their own 21.3-yard line. Props to the special teams unit on that. Number one in average time per possession, two minutes and six seconds. Probably because either they race down the field and score, or we stop them pretty quickly. There's not a whole lot of in-between, apparently. I don't know. They're second in the amount of plays per drive, 5.2. Same logic. 
14th in yards, which is not terrible. On average, teams are getting 32.8 yards per attempt. 20th in points, 2.48 yards, uh, 2.48 points per attempt, a little bit worse than a field goal per. So again, it's not the worst defense in football. It's not good, but it is not the worst. Looking at a little bit of individual stats, Aaron Rodgers right now sitting at 5th in uh, passing yards, 3rd in passing touchdowns behind Wilson and Josh Allen. He is 7th in yards per attempt, yards gained per completion 6th with uh, 12.5 on average, which is crazy. His passer rating is 4th, 121.1. Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, and Josh Allen are currently higher. If we look at QBR, which is usually uh, kind of a more mocked, nonsensical thing, but at this moment, I like it. QBR, he's currently number one. So as of this day, 2020, um, QBR is the best stat ever. Net yards per attempt, which is a lot of people's favorite quarterback stat, he is fourth with 8.0. Or average net yards per attempt, I think is actually what, or adjusted net yards per attempt. A lot of people say that's like the the premier quarterback stat. He's second behind Russell Wilson. Um, Again, usually if you sort by a stat and it seems like a pretty good list of the best quarterbacks, it's pretty solid. The list for average net yards per attempt, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo, Derek Carr, Ryan Tannehill, Dak Prescott, Drew Brees, there's your top 10. Sounds pretty iffy, but again, if we think about 2020, I don't know that it's all that terrible. At the very least, the top three makes sense. The top four, actually, with Josh Allen tearing it up right now kind of makes sense as the best four quarterbacks in football, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Lamar, Josh Allen. Where is Pat Mahomes? I've been trying to tell you, the guy is, you know, not saying he's bad. He still does the crazy no-look stuff, but he has to prove that he is up there with these other guys. It's not just inherent that Pat Mahomes is the greatest ever. So far, he's playing good, not great. He's not up there with Wilson and Rodgers and Jackson and Allen. Can he end the year as, as the MVP best player? Yeah, of course. He's a freak. He's really talented. I'm not... Whatever. I'm just saying, you can't just crown a guy without him actually doing stuff. And so far, he isn't doing stuff. Um, I mentioned the attempts. Aaron Jones right now is seventh in attempts, you know, because Matt LaFleur and whatnot. Aaron Jones is number two in rushing yards with 303. Derrick Henry is the only back with more yards at 319. Again, just wait. He's had two teams completely key in on him. We get Devontae back. We go up against some lesser defenses, run defenses, whatever. Um, Aaron Jones is going to retake that mantle. Rushing touchdowns, he is tied for first with fourth. Aaron Jones I'm talking about. Longest runs, Aaron Jones is second with his 75-yard scamper. Yards per attempt, Aaron Jones is technically tied for fifth, but that's with Kyler Murray mixed in. But he's tied for fifth with Dalvin Cook at 6.1 yards per attempt. You look at yards per reception, MVS and Alan Lazard still on this list. MVS is fourth with 20.6 yards per reception. Alan Lazard, 19.5. Absolutely ridiculous. Yards per game. Devontae is still fourth on this list. Again, he's missed a bunch of time, but 96 yards per game on average have to assume uh, Lazard is actually not all that far behind. Total touchdowns, Aaron Jones is second in the NFL behind Alvin Kamara. Aaron Jones has five touchdowns. Points scored, heads up to Mason Crosby. He has 34 points behind just Alvin Kamara again. Aaron Jones is fifth on this list with 30 points scored. So look, they're all over the place offensively. That's sort of the bottom line. Um, we got to get the defense figured out. I don't know. And again, I don't want to overreact because everybody's doing terribly. But at the end of the day, we have to at least acknowledge this is nowhere near good enough. And um, we need to see some improvement. But again, not hyperbole to say this is one of the best Packers offenses we've ever seen. This is one of the best offenses the NFL has ever seen right now. And uh, we just got to hope that they can keep it up. No regression. Keep Keep the foot on the gas. That's it. So anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye bye.